Welcome to First Wednesday. Um, man, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, let's give it up for everyone that's here. Go to yourselves. Beautiful. Sorry, this is, this is a lot. It's going to take a lot longer to do this than it used to. All right, get out your Bibles. We're going to Romans 1. <laughs> um, so we spent all of 2021 in the book of Acts. Um, we're going to be jumping into Romans 1. What you heard over there was pipeline students. And so uh, if you want to have the same emotional reaction, we start in September. All right. Um, and so, um, so if you're new to First Wednesday, we'll kind of catch you up on what happens here. So um, on Sunday mornings, we do what we call topical sermons, which is we're usually dealing with a topic. So like right now, we're in the Taking Ground series, so the topic is taking ground and, and all the various uh, ways that we need to be looking at that. Uh, when it comes to First Wednesdays, we approach this much differently. If this is your first First Wednesday and you don't have a Bible, hopefully you have a phone that has a Bible app on it. We're going to do a lot of reading, all right? So at First Wednesdays, what we do is we take one chapter of the Bible, and we just go to work. So we're going we're gonna to read all of Romans 1 tonight, and we're going to pause along the way. We're going to pull out. We're going to expose what the Bible says. Right? So expository, we're going to expose what is in the Word. All right? There's a number of things I want to ask you to underline and circle. Um, and essentially what we're doing is a really big Bible study, and surely throughout this thing we'll preach a little bit. All right? Um, and so, wow, who is, oh, Charity uses this. That's why. Yeah. I was like, who is five foot one and uses this thing? All right. Charity. Oh, perfect. All right. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll open God's word together. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for all that you do in our lives and through our lives and ultimately what you've already done. And so tonight, God, I pray that I would honor your word well that our goal tonight is not to add much or take away anything, but strictly to expose what it is that you want us to learn, particularly from this book of Romans, um, chapter 1, and, and that tonight, even as we preach and we give analogies and truths, God, uh, I pray that it only highlights your word and nothing more. Um, it is uh, alive um, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So I, I pray that tonight it pierces between our spirit and our body. In some way it severs the elements of us that we've yet to give to you and exposes to us elements of ourselves that we can give to you at a greater level. So we thank you for that tonight. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Say it with me. Amen. All right, let's go. Romans 1. So <clears throat> catch you up in the book of Romans. This is a, a letter from Paul to, does anybody want to guess who it's to? All right, very good. <laughs> Romans, all right? And so let's go, uh, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. So right out of the gate, just to help you understand, Paul is announcing himself and greeting the Romans, all right? So that's what we're reading right now. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul gives us just a little snippet. I'm here on behalf of Jesus. To be clear, this is who Jesus is. Keep in mind, at this point, Paul is having to deal with a lot of people declaring what Jesus is not or what they think Jesus is. So Paul, coming out of the gate, is creating a level of clarification, just so we're all clear on who Jesus is, right? So uh, that's what we see happening. Uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, not a lot to dissect here. We all see what's going on. Paul just is long-winded with his introduction. Okay, verse 8, he continues his long-windedness. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at, least, or at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, talking about those that are in Rome, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well, uh, as among the rest of the Gentiles. All right, that's the end of verse 13. Now I want you to start paying attention when we pick up at 14. And 14 is where we're really going to start doing some work together, okay? I am under obligation. Say obligation. obligation. Both to, wow, that was really good. You guys are on it tonight. <laughs> obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. All right, so we pick up in verse 14, and what Paul is trying to make perfectly clear is that I have an obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians. I don't let that word barbarians make you feel like that feels kind of aggressive, right? Like, man, that's like, I don't want to, you know. Um, not that Paul was prone to political correctness, but uh, that was a, a word that they would associate with um, people that are far from God and those that did not speak their native tongue. All right, so just. Kind of bear with that, right? But to all mankind, Paul is saying, I'm here for everybody. No, all mankind, no matter what their nationality or culture. And I know that the classification barbarian sounds exhaustive to remember that Greeks call those who do not speak their own language barbarians. And the apostle, writing from Greece, adopts their point of view. One of the things you'll see Paul do over and over and over and over again is he speaks in the culture as he speaks to the culture. Right? And that's important that we understand, as, A, as we read our Bibles, but B, as we walk out Christianity. Because like, I think the Christian has to take come out from among you a little too like, off the charts. Right? So come out among you and don't be associated with them. It's like, well, yeah, like, that means don't go to the strip club with them. But it doesn't mean don't eat at their house. 
<laughs> like, how else do they see the gospel working in us for them, right? And so Paul is prone to going into the culture and speaking to the culture from within it. And so you'll see that not just in this small uh, representation, but if you look at Paul's writings all throughout the New Testament, Paul is constantly dancing in and out of his training as one of the top Greek minds of that age, uh, or for coming out of the, one of the top minds from Greece in that age, but also his Jewish culture. And so uh, what you'll see with Paul oftentimes is he marries this incredible ability to embrace a Jewish culture with a Jewish heritage, with an, with an Eastern mindset, and merge it with Western philosophy and Western influence. And so if you really like that stuff, just read a bunch of Paul's writings. All right. So I have an obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians, right? And we pick up in verse 16. Some of you have this like tattooed on you, I'm sure. <clears throat> Romans 1:16. Okay, sorry. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now let's pause right there and let's unpack what Paul is talking about, all right? Does anybody remember Paul's story? Who was he before Paul? Saul, right? And what was Saul's MO? Persecuting and killing Christians, right? So I want you to imagine, it's not like they don't know who he is. Paul has, Saul has quite a reputation. The Saul to Paul conversion has happened. And I want you to think about your life for a second. Some of y'all wild out before Jesus got a hold of you. All right? I want you to think for a second that the only thing people know about you is the old you. Come on. BCU. Okay? I want you to think that's all they know about you, and then all of a sudden, they're thinking about that party that you were at that you're thinking about right now. Yeesh. They're thinking, they're thinking about where you went, what you did. They're thinking, so, all right, that's what's in their mind. And now all of a sudden, they don't get to see this really cool Jesus-centered transition for you. You're going to show back up as you now. Not only that, God has given you a word to preach to those people about Jesus. How do you think that's going to go? Like, I remember the last time I saw you, right? You were, right? And so let's put Romans 1.16 into context. It's not like, you know, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's, no, no, no. Paul's saying like, eh, these cats are going to remember me, Right? But he goes on to say, and that's, that's the context, but I'm not ashamed. Like, I know I used to persecute Christians, and now, like, I am one, but I'm not ashamed. Like, I know I used to wild out, like, I know that, but I'm not ashamed. Why? Because it's the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Like, I know I'm going to have to endure some things. I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in Rome. As I go to Rome, think about this. He's got to preach to Jews, Greeks, Gentiles. So, 
widespread audience, whole lot going on now that he's going to have to go and preach to. So he's got to preach in different cultures. He's going to have to use different languages. He's got to use different analogies. He's got to help all these different people understand Jesus. And all these people look at him still thinking like, you're that dude. So he's got a lot that he's having to overcome. And in the midst of having to overcome all of it, his whole thing is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What, if this is what it takes, this is what it takes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For, uh, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. I want you to underline those, the words righteousness of God. Because we're going to ride the back, uh, the back wave of that, if you will, throughout the rest of the chapter, particularly when we get to this another word. From faith, it's revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, verse 17, from faith to faith. See, The righteousness of God helps us understand that the necessity of purity is revealed. So let's go back to it. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. But what is the righteousness of God? Well, when we become aware of the righteousness of God, that then helps us become aware of our need for the righteousness of God. And so because we have a need for the righteousness of God, it makes us aware that there are some things in our life that separate us from God. So now we have a need for the righteousness of God. We have an awareness that we are not righteous in God. And so now there's a separation between where we are, where God is, and it exposes the need for something to bridge that gap. You with me? And so he's saying that there's a righteousness we need to be aware of, but we don't have it. But the gospel is the power of God that helps us understand that though I'm not righteous, someone else became righteous so that I could be. And so this is what Paul is exposing in all of this, all right? It is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. That means from a belief. You're believing that the righteousness of God is possible for faith, which is you receive faith. So the righteousness of God is is necessary. It is by faith that the gospel is received. And when it is received, it strengthens the faith of the believer. So I'll put it to you like this. Before you got saved, you had doubts. Yeah? Yeah? When you got saved, how many of those questions got answered? Like, I still got T-Rex questions. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the Brontosaurus, Brontosaur, I don't even know, bro. I skipped that class. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, the, like, how many of y'all got questions for God? So how many of us will all acknowledge when we got saved, those questions didn't go away? So what happened? By faith, you received that God is real, and it strengthened your faith in the fact that God is real. It didn't eliminate much of anything. But by faith, you received the gospel. By faith, you received the reality of Jesus Christ. By faith, you have said, all right, this is the truth, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And it strengthened your faith that God is who he says he is, even when we can't explain all the things we're unsure about. 
So when it says from faith for faith, it is from faith, our belief, that it strengthens our faith. And as it is written, the righteous shall live. How? By faith. All right? Let's keep going. God's wrath on unrighteousness, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. So the reality of our need to be saved and what we are being saved from is revealed in Christ Jesus. So let's be real clear about the gospel. And this is something uh, our pipeline students spend a whole year unlearning and relearning. Because we take it that serious. The gospel is sinful man that can do nothing before a just God. Pardoned by God through the death of his son. Having done nothing to earn it, but receiving a free gift from God, which is forgiveness, and it's received by faith in the son of God, who is Jesus Christ. And now we walk with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, even though we've done nothing to earn it. And we get to stand before a just God, justified, just as if I'd never sinned, justified, even though we've done nothing to deserve it. So, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, right? And unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. I want you to circle that word truth. I want you to underline it. I want you to write it on your kid's forehead. I want you to do whatever you got to do. Because here's the deal. The rest of Romans 1 is all about that word. Okay? So what is the truth? The truth is the gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the necessity for forgiveness. The truth. The truth that God exists amongst man. And we need forgiveness to be close to him. That's the truth, okay? So everybody on the same page with me? This is important because how many of you have ever read your Bible and been like, I read a lot, but I don't know a lot. Me too. You know, it's all good, right? Well, sometimes it's because we don't identify keywords that in Hebrew and in Greek will really stand out, but in our language don't. So I want to help you tonight as we unpack this. So the word truth there is really, really important. The unrighteous suppress the truth. For what can be known, well, what are we knowing? The truth, right? So what can be known about God, all right? What can be known about God? So what is the truth? That's essentially what he's asking. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Romans 1, verse 19 tells us that an atheist does not exist. That's what it says. Let's go back. Let's do 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? The reality of God. So in their unrighteousness and in their ungodliness, they are suppressing what God has called to constantly rise. So 
You may have friends or loved ones, family members that they say they are atheists, but in their heart of hearts, there is a truth that is being pushed down. But like a beach ball held underwater, you cannot ignore the fact that it is there. You don't see it on the surface, and some people are really good at holding it under, but it is there, right? And so, now that unpacks in many ways we're not diving into tonight, but I'm giving you a baseline for what Paul's communicating here. For what can be known about God is plain to them because he has shown it to them, right? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Without excuse for what? Acknowledging the truth. That's why I'm, I'm going to keep pointing back to that word truth, okay? So that's like one of my main goals tonight is to help you see how Romans 1 is consistently talking about the reality of God and our necessity for him. So the truth, the reality of God and our necessity for him and the wrath that is coming for those that don't believe, that's the truth, okay? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse, all right, of what? Acknowledging that truth. What truth? God is here, right? For although they knew God, so we're still talking about people that are far from God. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So I want you to unpack that for me for a second. God says, they knew me, they're aware of me, they looked around all creation, this came from somewhere, and in their futile hearts they said, there is no God. Right? And so they are without excuse. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And that, and, and, and uh, what is that verse? The light is low. 21. They did not honor God as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here in verse 21, we have the exposure of God's desire, which is what? Glorification. So when we look at Romans 1, verse 21, Paul is writing to us to expose God's ultimate desire from mankind. What is that? God's ultimate desire from mankind is that you would glorify God. It's not, it's not complicated. How y'all know it can be hard, though. I almost said it's not hard. I was like, well, that will be incorrect terms. Because how many guys know it is really hard to not want to get the glory ourselves? And how many of you have noticed, uh, uh, ladies, I've done this analogy before. uh, Ladies, how many of you are married? Just raise your hand. How many of you plan to get married? That should cover the rest of them. All right, cool. So. I want you to think for a second, you've got a sister that is a spoiled brat. Some of you, that's not going to be that hard. You've got a sister, spoiled brat. It is your wedding day. It's your wedding day. And 
right as you're getting ready, you've already said, I do, Mr. and Mrs., this is y'all's day. Come on. Like, all right, so yeah, there you go. This is y'all's day. And they're getting ready to announce you as you walk into the reception. Right? This is your moment. The music's going to play, disco ball, right? Like, whatever. Or like barn doors. I don't know, whatever whatever your thing is. And so this is your moment. And right as you're getting ready to walk out, her boyfriend proposes to her right in front of your walkway. (laughs) Fellas, take notes. If you thought about proposing at someone else's wedding, you just got your answer, okay? I've heard some women are cool with it. That's not my jam. I don't care, whatever. What I'm trying to show you is if you don't like glory robbed from you on one special day, what makes you think an eternal God wants glory robbed from him? (laughs) And so... What Paul is exposing to us in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him. They didn't glorify him. They didn't acknowledge him. They didn't live a life that declared him as God. And they didn't even give thanks to him. But, because how many guys know when you're not glorifying God, you are glorifying you. And when you're not giving God his desires, you are giving into yours. What happened? They became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Right? And so what we're aiming to do through the words of Paul is exposed to ourselves. A, what God's desire is for us. Listen to me, friends. God's desire is to get the glory out of your life. That's it. That everything you do. Everything you put your hands to, everything that comes out of your mouth, every action that you have would glorify God. Every dollar that you spend, every moment that you're awake, every word glorifies God. Every encouragement to a brother or a sister, every thing that you, every, every time you love your kids or your spouse, that you are glorifying God in those things. Every time you eat a delicious quesadilla. (laughs) Or some fajitas. Or pizza. Come on, y'all like, stop, bro, it's 7.30. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But every time we experience happiness and or joy, that we glorify God. That every moment of delight is only delightful because the one that made it delightful is God. That the fact that we could survive off things that taste like nothing, but he made things delightful. Why? So that we would, in delighting in it, delight in him. That he would get glory out of every ounce of joy that you experience. That when you hold your baby for the first time, parents, or now you hold your teenager and maybe you wish it was the last time, or whatever. As you do any of those things, and you look at this baby that you have, or teenager you're getting ready to send to college, or whatever. As you experience those things, God's desire is that your desire would be to delight in him for the joy that he's given to you in this other creation. Everything is a resounding echo of the glory of God in our lives. 
so that we would go, oh my God, you're so good. Come on. Pepperoni and sausage? Right? Extra cheese? Come on. Come on. Queso cheese dip? Why do we bother ordering anything else? You know what I'm saying? Just keep that coming. You guys get what I'm saying, though? That everything, God desires that everything in our life would, would cause this resounding echo in our hearts. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Hear me, though. What would be different in your life if that were going on? Would you care as much about the things that you freaked out today about? Myself included. Would the things that are really bothering you bother you the way that they are? Would the things you're so worried about, decisions you're making right now on behalf of the next two, five, ten years, I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying how different would your approach to those things be if the echo of God's glory was resounding in your heart? And that is a space that I and Paul are inviting you to step into. How easy is it to say yes to whatever God asks of us if everything in our life that we find joy in, we recognize is just a gift from him? And that's what we're coming back to because there are some who do not find glory in it. There are some who do not thank God for it. There are some who are not connected to God in that way. And God said, I've allowed their hearts to become darkened. And so hear me, for some of you, don't lean into the darkness of your heart in those areas of your mind where you continue to let pull you in the wrong direction. Not that I'm worried about you losing salvation as believers, but I am worried about your testimony as believers. Let's keep going. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, how would they claim to be wise? They would claim to be wise, claiming to know the truth. But they don't know the truth, do they? Right? Anybody ever known a very intelligent, stupid person? I don't even need to. All right, perfect. Claiming to be wise, claiming to know truth. But you can know truth and deny the truth, right? Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And Paul is speaking to the gods of that time. He's speaking to idolatry of that time. Uh, and so <clears throat> he's saying, Claiming to be wise, philosophers. Think about, think about Greece, right? Claiming to be wise. They are fools. Claiming to have all of this knowledge, yet deny the truth. They are fools. They know that there is a God. They suppress that truth. And yet, by suppressing the truth that there is a God, they search out God's. That's what Paul's saying. There's some stuff in this book. Y'all got to read it. 
So Paul's saying, in a pursuit to know things, they deny God. But now that they know a few things, they've looked for a false God and denied the real God. Right? Let's keep going. Therefore, verse 24. Uh, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged what? The truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So, So again, we're honing in verse 25. Paul is saying, Right? They, they dishonor God for their bodies, with their bodies. They had lust in their hearts for impurity, right? And because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, because they, they no longer wanted to know the one true God, they no longer wanted to know the real God, they no longer wanted to know God of all creation, they wanted to find their gods, right? right? They pursue the lust of their hearts, they dishonor God with their bodies, and then right there in verse 25, because they exchanged the truth, they bought into the lie and they started worshiping the creation, the creature. They, they started worshiping what God had made instead of the one that made them. Which, is that not what we do all the time? Like, moment of reflection, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to expose yourself, all right? Moment of reflection, how often... Do we worship our job more than the one that gave it to us? How often do we worship whatever idols are in our life? How often do we worship our career? It's not a bad thing to have a career. Have one, please. Okay? Not a bad thing to have a house. Have one, please. It's not a bad thing to have a car. Have one and drive home safely in it tonight. In Jesus' name, right? So, like... Have those things, nothing wrong with any of those things. But when our hearts start to worship them, when God comes to us, this is a question I ask often in classes when I'm teaching. If God were to tell you today, sell it all, move to Brazil, preach to lost people groups, what is your response? Now, like, yes, right now, it's cheap. I just want you to know. You know what I'm saying? All of us are like, yes, Lord. Yeah, you can have it all. I was listening to some music in the kitchen the other day, and back-to-back songs came on. The first one was like, you can have it all, Lord. You can have it. I'm not going to sing it. No, I'm not doing it. No. We'll do that at the end when we've got to clear this place out. But it's like, the song is like, you can have it all, Lord, every part of me. You know what I mean? And I was listening to it, and I was singing it, and then I was like, they know what they're singing? Because that's costly. You can have it all, God. Every part of me, Lord. God's like, perfect. I want that. And it's like, eesh. I worked hard for that. Come on. I got my degree for that. <laughs> I worked 20, I saved up 20 years for that. God's like, yeah, 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 that. I want that. Hmm. I don't know about that, God. And the next song was, I want to be refined by fire. Right. So the if you don't know that song, I want to be refined by fire, purified. 
And I was like, yeah. You ever looked around your house even though you know no one's there just to get someone to agree with you? I was like, y'all hear this? Y'all hear this? Like I was, no, I don't, I don't want to be refined by fire or purified. Can we be real for a second? Like I've been through some stuff, man. But I don't want to go through more. Following God is costly, though. And when we come here, he says, and this is a question that I just want to ask you to ask yourself. I mean, we're in, it. We're in the Imagine campaign. We're in the Taking Ground series. We're talking about sacrificial living and all of those things. What's God calling you to say? If I asked you for it, would you give it to me? Because if the answer is no, you are worshiping the creation over the creator. And I want to encourage you. I'm not here to beat you up. I want to encourage you to pray that God would start dealing with your heart about that. Because thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we're all guilty. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm there. You know, God, God did in my life what I prayed never, I don't, I don't wish it on anyone because he took my son and, you know, all of those things. But there was a genuine moment of a, a recollection, a, a moment of tension between me and God where God goes, so you worship that more than me? You know what my answer was? Yeah. Right now? Yeah. Like tonight, today? Yeah. I sat holding the, probably the only thing in my life that I would tell God, now nah, you're going to have to figure something else out. And I told God, I'm not interested. If, if, if this is what it's going to cost me, I'm not interested. Find someone else. I'm just being honest. Right? And if, if you are honest with yourself, you probably have something that falls into that category for you too. When God says, I want that, and you go, mm, nah, you're going to have to figure something else out. Right? And my, my question to you is, we put our faith in the one that saved us. We've, we've proclaimed with our mouth, believed in our heart. That everything in this world is temporary and we've been given a gift that it only has to be temporary, including your pain. But that there's an eternal joy that awaits, right? And it's available to us through Jesus Christ, which is the truth Romans 1 is talking about, the reality of God, necessity of salvation, and so on. And all of us can identify one thing in our life where we're going, hmm, no, nah, God, you're going to have to figure something else out. And my, my encouragement to you is do not wait until God forces you to recollect what you worship to change your posture of worship. I am certainly not inviting you into the space where all of you have to internally deal with some phantom grief that is not your current reality. What I am inviting you to is to deal internally with the fact that life may not go the way you want it to. 
And God's goodness is not predicated on your circumstances. He is good because he is God. He is good because you know the truth that Paul is talking about. He is good because he has outlined, planned, and set into motion everything that is necessary for your salvation. And he finished it already. And now we get to stand in this place and go, thank you, God. God, never let me worship the creation more than you. Never let me fall in love with my bank account, my career, the things of this world, even my family, more than I love you. And so we worship the creator. Let's keep going. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So think about it. They suppress the truth, right? So just walk through this as we get to here. They suppress the truth. They saw God, they saw the workings and creations of God, chose not to believe in God because they're suppressing that truth, right? Because of that, they started living a life that did not honor God, so God gave them over to the darkness of their heart, all right? So I want you to, I want you to put these points together. For this reason, then they started worshiping the creation of the creator, and they found other gods, and they started worshiping them. And then in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise, likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Then we pick up in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to what? Acknowledge God. What does that mean? Since they did not see fit. To acknowledge the truth about God. Since they, since they saw fit not to acknowledge the truth. So we're, I'm bringing you back to where we were at, okay? So they did not see fit to acknowledge God, to acknowledge the truth. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And, and I want you to grab a hold of this. When we deal with salvation and we deal with people coming to God and not coming to God and and when God shows up to people's lives and they suppress the truth, but they don't just suppress the truth, but they, in an outright pursuit of the things that are contrary to God, and God does the prompting, and the gospel is presented, and God does the prompting, and the gospel is presented, and God does the prompting, and the gospel is presented. And over and over and over again, they suppress the truth. God eventually has the capability to say, all right, I'm going to let you have everything it is in this life that you want. And that is why it is a terrifying thing to not feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because it is in that moment you are now left to yourself. And that is a prayer I pray often. God, thank you that you did not leave me to myself. Because I know what my mind wanted. I know where I could have gone. I know, I know what I did do, let alone what I could have done. But you did not turn me over to that. Even when I didn't go after God, God went after me. This is an important construct that we unpack when it comes to the reality of what we call soteriology or the, the study of the doctrine of salvation. Which is this realization that because God is the initiator of our salvation. Look at Paul on the road to Damascus as Saul. He wasn't on the road to Damascus like, you know, I wonder if this Jesus thing is real. Like, I wonder if we're just, 
Why are we persecuting people for the wrong reason? No. He was convinced. And Jesus, in, with laser-like precision, came after the one that was his. Saved him. And blinded him for three days, but saved him. For some of us, that might have been what it took to. All right? Let's just be real. Saved him. Right? And in that, God transformed his heart and his mind through the power of the Holy Spirit, convicted him throughout the sanctification process. But, but we understand that God does this initiating in our hearts. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are responding to a work that's already happening. We're not initiating a work, we're responding to the work. And that's an important distinction that we understand because that means as long as the power of God is alive within us, we have now the time to respond to it. And we should. Don't ever, listen to me, friends, don't ever take for granted the present reality that the Holy Spirit is a work, working in your life. Because that means you are not here. God has not left you to yourself. Are you perfect? No. There's only one that's perfect. His name is Ashley Livingston. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So. <laughs> I love you. That's my wife, by the way. New people are like, what is going on in here? Sorry. Let's keep going. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so what we see in verses 28 all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 32, is, okay, then what is the ramifications of suppressing the truth? Because it all keeps pointing back to the truth, the reality of God, the necessity of God, and who Jesus is. All right? So it all goes back to the truth. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, and then the list that he rattles off are all byproducts of the real problem. So how many of us, you know, we all live in this world and society and in culture as we wrap up. We all live in this world and society and culture where people are trying to trim back the branches, but no one's cutting down the tree. We're trying to manage behavior, but we're not getting to the root of the problem. Right? And the root of the problem is when people suppress the truth about God, they worship the wrong things, and out of worshiping the wrong things, this is the byproduct. So there is no, although I'm not against it, there is no social program that fixes this problem. There is no president on either side of the aisle that fixes this problem. There is... I don't care how patriotic you are, no person that bleeds red, white, and blue that fixes this problem. Because this isn't an American problem. 
This is a people problem. And as long as we keep looking to people to solve the problem, we're going to be disappointed. And so, um, no one in this church knows my political preference, mainly because I barely have one. Anyways, but all that I say is, because it's never been our goal to try to look at government systems to fix people problems. Now again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm going to get off this high horse in just a second. But I'm not saying they're not important. Where the church failed, thank God, elements of the government did step in. Okay, so thank God that we've been able to take care of people and fight for injustice and do all of those things necessary. What I'm saying is they don't fix the problem. And we as the church have the responsibility to speak to the problem. What is the problem? That we declare the truth and help those that are suppressing the truth to see the truth. What is the truth? That there is a righteous God who will not ever have unrighteousness in his presence. You and I are unrighteous. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. So we are unrighteous. God is righteous. We cannot be in the presence of a righteous God because of our unrighteousness. So God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth who lived a righteous life, no sin, no faults, He went to the cross, died there to pay for our unrighteousness so that you and I could have his unrighteousness applied to us as our, or his righteousness applied to us as our unrighteousness was placed on him. And as he was on the cross for those hours that he was there, he endured all of man's sin for those who would go to heaven, all of man's sin, past, present, and future, he consumed the wrath of God on man's behalf. So that the wrath of God that was coming for us no longer is. And we get to stand next to God with a righteousness that is not our own. That is the truth that we need to cling to, that we need to bring to people. And that is what Paul was talking about in Romans 1. There is a truth. There's a lot of truths out there, but there is the truth. And the truth is that you will come to face to face with God one day. And you will either pay for your sins yourself or acknowledge that your faith has been put into the one that could pay for your sins for you. It's option one or option two. Now tonight I pray that every one of you are part of option two. Yeah, Jesus paid for your sins, right? But my, my, my hope for you tonight is that that would be such a realization that it ekes its way into all the other aspects of your life that we talked about tonight. That it ekes into how you love your spouse for those of you that are married, how you love your children for those of you that are parents, how you work for those of you that are employed, have a boss, for those of you that own your company, how you treat your employees. My prayer is that it helps you understand how you're supposed to love your neighbor. Like Matt Chandler says, we've got to stop building taller fences and start building bigger tables.
We have to start loving our neighbor better. We have to start caring about our coworker. Why? Because heaven and hell are real. And the tipping point for it, then Romans chapter 1, verse 18. They suppress the truth, and it is our job to bring the truth to them. Not with a hammer, although some of your neighbors, am I right? Not with a hammer, but with an open palms. Let us live our life in a way that we mirror Paul and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Can we do that? Let's stand tonight. I want to take a few minutes, these last four minutes. We're going to end on time tonight. I want, you to, I want us to take the last four minutes, and I just want us to reflect on the goodness of God. And I want us to pray. One of the things that we've been praying about and tonight, we wanted to carve out just a few minutes, is even about the Imagine campaign that we're doing. We're believing that God's going to be speaking to some of your hearts in the weeks to come about saying yes to a sacrificial gift. And so as you pray tonight, as you reflect on what we talked about tonight, the areas of your life where maybe you worship the creation more than the creator. Maybe you're not ready to give this part of your life to God. Maybe you're guilty of bigger, building bigger fences instead of bigger tables, not loving your neighbor well and your coworkers well. Whatever it is, that God would prompt your heart. And that we would find ourselves in a posture and we say, all right, God, it is abundantly clear what you ask of us from your word. So help us live that out. He's put, he's, he, the Holy Spirit, has spoke something to your heart already tonight. He's done something. He's identified something, and so we want to put that thing before God. Say, all right, God, help me as I follow you, all right? Take the next two minutes. I just want you to go to a quiet place by yourself. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves. Come on, church, just with your own words, just thank him tonight. Thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves. God, in ways, if we were honest, we suppress the truth. 
We pushed away the reality of God in our own hearts. But God, you did not stop coming after us. So we thank you that your grace comes after us. We thank you for the abundance of your mercy tonight. So God, as we look to you to help carry us, as we leave this place, as we go throughout our days, God, I pray that our hearts would be prompted to remember who you are, to remember who you called us to be. We thank you tonight.